welcome to Nighty Night with Robbie Achadri. Bedtime stories to keep you awake. I'm DJ Lubell, the show's producer. Tonight's tale teaches us a very important lesson. When buying a new house, always know its full history. Please enjoy Amish Country. It was an old-school, single-story cottage deep in the Pennsylvanian woods, with a covered porch and a recently repaired smokestack poking up through the roof. It was adorable. The foliage was barely beaten back in the realtor's photos, so the house looked comfortably nestled in its surroundings, even with a fresh coat of paint. A pair of rocking chairs sat to the left of the front door, and it was the easiest thing in the world to imagine cozying up with a mug of something hot as you watched the trees rustle and bend with the wind. The Lancaster County listing was brief, but it did frame it as a quaint, rustic haven with total privacy. Noah got the impression that the realtor's office didn't have high hopes for selling it, but it was perfect. They bought it sight unseen. A retreat far away from the city, from any town even, where he and Marcus could really focus. On themselves, their relationship, and on their art. In just a few months from now, a collection of emerging artists was debuting at a high-end gallery, and their work had made the cut. All they had to do was produce a couple more large pieces that showed the skill that they'd cultivated in the nine years since they found each other. They had not had an opportunity like this in forever, and Noah had put in so much work to get any gallery to take an interest in their portfolio. He attended opening after opening, usually alone, becoming a familiar face on the local art scene. Marcus spent every night working late, and Noah would always be grateful to him for being the breadwinner, but he would never abandon their art. They each brought their own specialties to their enormous sculptures. Marcus selecting and carving slabs of different hardwoods into gentle, simple forms, and Noah whittling and wood-burning fine details into the surface. Their art was like their relationship, a balance between Marcus's stoicism and Noah's eye for beautiful embellishments. Now they had the chance to get the recognition that Noah fought so hard for, and what better place to turn out some new pieces of wood art than Amish country? No distractions, no avoiding, no Wi-Fi. And the cottage was an investment in their future, a secluded studio space where they could disappear to work on commissions and collections. It would pay for itself, and then Marcus wouldn't have to spend all his time in that dark office staring at his screen. Noah found himself staring dreamily at the car window on the drive through the country, imagining their life as famous and wealthy art world power husbands. Marcus was especially quiet as they wound their way through trees that grew taller and closer together the further they traveled. He had a difficult time getting away from his job, it was true, but Noah knew that he would eventually appreciate time away from the pace of his life back home. When they finally pulled up to the cottage, the realtor came out the front door to greet them. The bookers, she called, shielding her eyes from the bright sun streaming between the tall trees. That's us, called Noah, hopping out of the car. The realtor broke out into a broad smile. It's so great to finally meet you in person. Did you have any trouble finding it? A bit, grunted Marcus as he started to unload the car. Noah rushed inside, excited to see their new baby in person for the first time. 
The realtor followed him in, calling out details. The inspection came back clean. All the usual suspects were non-factors. This place was built before they started putting asbestos in homes, and there's no sign of mold. There were a fair few spiders, but I've taken care of them now. There's a few original pieces from the last owner that were left on the property, like those chairs out front and the bed frame back through here, and we just left them how they were since they seem to be kind of like part of the home. You know you get some very solid craftsmanship around these parts. She cast an eye over the suitcases that Marcus had started piling in the front room. Are you moving in full time or setting up a vacation home? Noah drifted through the rooms, getting a feel for the space. It was cozy, but big enough for their needs. A bit musty, but that was fixable. Actually, we're going to use it as a studio, but maybe I was thinking we could Airbnb it when we're not using it. Marcus agreed with a small, indecipherable grunt. The realtor responded, pleasantly curious, a studio? Good, I'd love to see more artsy types visiting out here. Noah wondered if that was a euphemism for gay, but then she continued. Me and my girlfriend gonna travel any time you want to get some culture that's not Dutch. Noah swiveled around with a huge smile, delighted at the chance to make friends with a couple so quickly. He opened his mouth to start making the double date plans already unfolding in his mind, but then he clocked the last part of her sentence. Dutch? he asked. Pennsylvania Dutch, you know, from Deutsch, from Germany, the Amish, the Mennonite, and I guess the rest of us. Well, maybe I only kind of count, but my grandparents did speak it. Oh, sure, of course, Noah said. Sorry, we've got a lot to learn, clearly. The realtor assured him that it was not a problem and that no one expected newcomers to be up to speed right away. Then she gave them a list of the best spots in town to grab some local food. It sticks to your ribs, which you're going to need out here. Gets pretty cold at night. Noah later spent a fair amount of what should have been sleeping hours remembering those words. Cold was certainly an accurate description of the weather that whistled in through invisible cracks in the wood and plaster. But a more honest word would be biting. The air bit Marcus and Noah that night, leaving their skin dry and raw. Their bones ached as they huddled as close as possible under a pile of blankets and sheets that they brought with them. Crap, Noah thought. They should have built a fire earlier in the evening so the house would have warmed up. But there wasn't any firewood in the house, and they certainly didn't have the tools to cut any for the night. This is what not having central heating felt like. Country living at its purest, Noah thought, as he shivered and snuggled closer to Marcus. Long after they had crawled into their bed, feeling exhausted and grimy from the day, their minds finally began to let go of consciousness. Wake up, Noah! Noah's eyes snapped open. His heart was thudding in his chest, the blood pumping hard and loud in his ears. Marcus was leaning down over him, his eyes wide. Noah sat up at attention and stared at his shaken husband in the dim glow from the hallway light. What happened? What's wrong? I think, I mean, I don't know, I think maybe there's an animal out there. Noah turned to look at the small windows lining their room. What are you talking about? What do you mean? There was this, I, I don't know, it was like something slamming into the house outside. You were sleeping like a rock, so I didn't want to wake you at first, but then it happened a few times, Marcus whispered. Noah sat as still as possible, his head lowered, eyes squinting, ears straining to hear anything. But there was nothing. After a long minute of silence, he reached over to his phone to check the time. 3.25 a.m. Baby, I don't hear anything, but maybe whatever it is is gone now. 
Noah was surprised to see Marcus's fear on his face. Marcus was always a rock. Noah's rock. All right, look, I mean, I already checked the house. All the windows are locked. The door's locked, so I guess... I guess we're safe, Marcus trailed off, his eyes red and tired. Noah pulled Marcus back into bed and rubbed his hands and feet against his husband's frozen fingers and toes. He wrapped his limbs over Marcus's shivering body and closed his eyes. But there was no sleep to be had for the rest of the night, and the thud of Noah's heart kept rattling his chest. The next few nights passed as the first, with Marcus waking up in the middle of the night, convinced he heard something slamming into the house. Noah never heard it, never woke up, and by the third day, Marcus stopped waking him up. Maybe he was having night terrors, Noah suggested, something that Marcus had suffered from persistently as a child, and even sometimes as an adult when he was stressed. Give it some time, Noah assured him. He was probably just anxious about the new place, or getting started on the new art piece. Plus, he'd sleep better once the house was properly insulated. They had to do something about the biting cold at night. Even with the fire raging in the fireplace, the house managed to be drifty and clammy. Luckily, the local contractor the realtor had connected them to finally had some good news. He had gotten a hold of the right insulation. That should help keep the cottage much warmer and seal up any cracks and drifty areas. Marcus told the contractor to start the install as soon as possible, and although the man was available, there was a small hitch. Despite growing up in the area, the contractor told Marcus that his map didn't show the dirt road that led to the cottage. In fact, it didn't show anything but untouched wilderness for miles in every direction of where Marcus told him the house was. And no, he didn't have a smartphone or an app or anything fancy like that. He would need a ride out there. So Marcus agreed to pick him up the next morning. Back at the cottage, as he waited for Marcus to return, Noah unpacked their equipment an assortment of chisels and mallets so they could get started on the new piece, the one that they would debut at the big gallery. A large, six-foot-tall, semi-hollow cut of a red oak stood in their front room, perfectly prepped for their next steps. The bark was removed and the hardwood sanded down, leaving a tall, smooth canvas. Noah loved working with wood because of its innate warmth. It didn't sap heat from human touch like metal or stone carved wood felt more like flesh when you ran your fingers over it, and transforming it into gentle curves turned it into an object that had a natural familiarity. Noah had often expressed that because wood was once alive itself, using it to create was closer to a resurrection than almost any other medium could claim. The crunch of rocks and twigs suddenly snapped Noah from his reverie. The door flew open, and there stood Marcus with a capable-looking older man who introduced himself as Mel. Mel quickly filled the space with his amiable chatter while his gaze moved throughout the home. Well, who could have known this was all the way out here? Good construction this is, no doubt about that. Built before they would have had fiberglass behind the paneling or anything like that, but they did get some things right. Mel mused as he assessed the job. Noah would have struggled to get in a word edgewise if he had anything to say, but the man seemed to be answering his own questions. I suppose we can get started in this front room here once I get my setup together. I think I brought enough cans. It's the only little place, this. Mel continued as he wrapped his knuckles hard against the wall. I'm looking for a place where I'll cut a hole up top here and about halfway down, and from there we'll fill it up. The wall echoed hollowly as Mel rapped on it, and he nodded to himself. He brought his hand down the wall to continue his diagnostic ritual. The foam will expand as it goes and fill in any of those crannies that are letting the cold, 
Mel suddenly stopped, puzzled. The sound was notably less hollow. He continued to wrap his knuckles along the lower parts of the walls. He deftly picked his way across the room, testing different areas. There was no hollow reverb once Mel reached about chest level in every wall. Sounds like there might be something in there, Mel finally said, turning his attention fully to the two new homeowners for the first time. When was this place built? I think the realtor said early 20th century, Marcus responded, his brow furrowing. Is this unusual? Mel was already moving on, striding nimbly toward the back of the house, wrapping walls along the way. Noah let him do his thing while Marcus trailed behind. He started running through possibilities and outcomes in his mind. Were the panels covering something that would increase the value of the home? Maybe this cottage had some secrets in store and a historic restoration would be a nice project for the two of them in the future. Mel returned to the front room and his wary expression popped Noah's idea bubble. If it's all right with you boys, I'd like to cut in that section of drywall over there and take a look. Whatever's in there is at uneven levels throughout the place, and I'm coming up empty on what it might be. Marcus told him to go ahead, and the older man went to grab his tool bag. Noah wasn't sure what to do with himself, so he grabbed some bottles of water from the kitchen while Mel started on an unpaneled section with a small, thin, handheld saw. Oh, Lord in heaven... Noah heard Mel gasp when he returned as a dank, musty air filled the room. Immediately and instinctually, he understood for the first time what it meant for something to smell of death. Mel covered his face with a cloth from his pocket and started frantically digging around his kit, pulling out two dust masks. I'm sorry, boys, Mel coughed after affixing one to his face. I only brought the one other. Noah nodded at Marcus to take the mask as he started backing out of the room pulling his sweatshirt up over his mouth and nose. Mel held up a heavy flashlight to the hole and peered in. I'm trying to make it out, he said. It looks like lumps of something. Noah stood in the bedroom doorway now, trying to find the balance between avoiding the smell and staying within earshot. Lumps? Marcus started throwing out any relevant information he could think of. Well, we had the place inspected. They didn't say anything about this. It would have been imperceptible to Mel, but Noah could detect the note of anxiety in his husband's voice. Mel was still peering in the hole. No stinking clue what this is. Emphasis on the stink. Something died in here for sure based on the smell, but I think I'm seeing cloth in here. Noah mumbled, well, what now? From inside his sweatshirt, and Mel threw a questioning look at Marcus. Marcus ran his fingers through his hair and nodded. Tear it open. Slowly, steadily, Mel began to saw his way down the drywall. His tool would catch every so often, but soon he had reached almost to the floor. He straightened up, stood back, and put one gloved hand on the edge of the little square he had first cut, at the top of the new jagged seam. He glanced at Noah and Marcus, and then pulled. Dozens of bundles spilled out onto the floor. Each one was approximately the size of Noah's forearm, some larger, some smaller. They were wrapped in mottled, rotting newspaper, bound by fraying twine. Loosely poking out from holes here and there where the newspaper moldered away were bones, small bones, with ragged clumps of flesh and fur barely held together. No one said a word, feeling like if they opened their mouths, they would have to taste the thick, fetid stench spreading through the room. Marcus, ever the decisive one, walked swiftly to the windows and pulled them open as Mel tore open the front door and darted outside. Noah pulled his sweatshirt over his mouth and nose and crossed the room, passing the small pile of bodies to join him. 
The three men gathered next to the SUV and tried to regroup. Mel's breath had caught in his throat and he started to cough, then hack and wheeze. He leaned against the car, taking ragged breaths with his hand on his chest. Noah realized he was holding a water bottle and offered it to Mel, who gladly accepted. He took careful sips and his old lungs began to steady. He fixed his pale eyes on Noah. What on God's green are those things? Unable to say anything just yet, his stomach heaved every time the images flashed in his mind. A large dark stain on a lump of yellowed newspaper, a broken, molting bird wing, the glimpse of the hollow wall packed with terrifying bundles. A few minutes after they fled the grotesque scene, Noah watched in dismay as Marcus crept back toward the house and covered his face again. Gingerly, Marcus dug inside and nudged a few bundles out of the door with his foot. Noah inched close to the graying lumps on the porch and asked to borrow Mel's thick gloves. Cautiously, he knelt close to the lumpy, moldy packets. Thin, flaking newspaper was bound tightly around them. Peeling off a layer, Noah caught a glimpse of the date. 1938. Marcus's voice broke the tense silence as he asked a little too loudly if Mel had heard anything about whoever had lived in the cottage before. I didn't even know it was here, Mel said, throat tight. Didn't think anyone lived up here. Noah continued his delicate research. With a tug, he was able to snap a section of fraying twine and started to unwrap the contents. The inner layers of the cracked yellow paper clung to a desiccated rabbit carcass moldering inside. Noah felt Marcus turn heel behind him and start walking away just to get some space from it. A few sprigs of herbs matted from fluids that had long since dried framed the little corpse. A scrap of darkened and deteriorated paper with something handwritten on it was tucked around the body. Noah, as carefully as he possibly could with the unwieldy gloves, lifted the scrap close to his face. He was able to make out just a few words, but they weren't in English. He tried to read them out loud, deciding he would rather mangle the pronunciation than discard a clue. Den Ike Ench? No, Yuch uh, Dirk Meinen Engel. The lines between Mel's eyebrows got deeply creased. That's German, he said. Noah looked up to see if he was going to translate or make any guesses as to how it found its way between the walls. But the contractor didn't meet his gaze. A few hours later, the three men sat stunned in the booth of a quiet bar with a few beers in front of them. Mel had insisted Marcus and Noah join him at his regular lunch spot after they realized the bookers had no idea where to go. But now they were all stuck in a collective loss for words. A sallow waiter came by to take their orders and Mel asked for what sounded like his usual. How could he even eat, wondered Noah. Food seemed like a hellish prospect after seeing piles of decayed flesh spill out of their walls. Once the waiter left, Marcus finally spoke. I don't know where to begin with this. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Google dead rabbits and wall? Mel regarded him seriously for a moment and then turned and craned his neck around the side of the booth searching for the bar. Chris, he yelled to the sallow waiter. Is Susanna working today? A few minutes later, a sweet-looking woman with a bloom of rosacea over her cheeks and neck ambled over to the table, wiping her hands on a thin apron. Hey, Mel, what can I do for you? After confirming that she had a minute to talk, Mel introduced Marcus and Noah and scooched over so Susanna could slide in. Mel gave a nod across the table, signifying it was time to start explaining. 
After sharing a glance, Marcus took the floor. Well, we just bought a cottage last week out in the woods, and and Mel here had come over to help us out with insulating the place. And then in the wall, well, Susanna's eyes crinkled as she gave a small smile. Oh, I see. Did you find any German in there? Marcus looked at her with surprise, but then nodded. That'll be the Himmelsbreath, she continued. Just a little protection for the home. (laughs) So that's why Mel called me over. My grandmother was ex-Amish and taught me a little this and that. She turned to Mel, who did not return her smile. Noah leaned in. So it's Amish? An Amish thing? Susanna flashed a small, confused look at Mel before turning back. Yeah, well, it's a powwow thing. That's the Amish, like, traditional folksy magic. Not Native American or anything. It's just what Englishers called it, and the name stuck. Marcus lifted his head. What about the dead animals? Susanna's easy smile froze. What? Mel began to describe what they had seen, and Noah showed her a few pictures he had taken on his phone. They watched horror creep into her expression as she zoomed in onto the images. Dear Lord, she sounded shaken. Tucking things into the walls, small things like little charms and blessings, that's powwow. But dead animals? No, I've never heard of anything like this. This isn't right. Mel poked at a room-temperature pile of fries. You boys didn't have any inkling, no smell, no nothing, he asked. When Noah shook his head and said that there was nothing weird until today, Marcus cut in. Well, that's not true. There's there's that thing I hear at night. Noah reached out to rub Marcus's arm and gently said, Well, those could be night terrors, or maybe there's an animal outside. Marcus ignored Noah and continued to explain how he'd been awoken every night by something outside slamming into the house, always around 3 a.m. Susanna and Mel's eyes widened as they listened, and the woman shook her head. No animal, bear or whatever, keeps to a schedule. Noah turned to the woman, trying to change the subject, and asked, Do you know anything about who might have lived there before? Susanna's hands were distractedly shredding a paper napkin, and her eyes were fixed in the middle distance as she considered the question. Noah could practically see her brain running through a Rolodex of neighbors and local history. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that house. There's a couple of farms in that area, but I... I maybe heard something once about this Amish couple that used to set aside some of their meat and eggs to take out a woman who lived out there in the woods. This could have been 30 years ago now, but I remember being surprised they were giving charity to an Englisher. Suddenly, a look of concern came into her eyes and her hands stilled. I know you're new to the area and all, but I hope you don't start thinking poorly of folks who only want to lead simple lives devoted to God. This, she waved at Noah's phone, it's awful, but it definitely isn't normal. Noah shook his head. No, no, of course not. We believe you. Susanna's eyes softened. All right, I just, I feel protective sometimes, that's all. Sometimes folks visit and mess with people who just want to be left alone, jump to all kinds of conclusions in their heads, not wanting to understand. She looked down and went back to poking at her shredded napkin. Noah sat back and leaned against Marcus, more questions running around his head now than before. Susanna apologized for not being more help, but added that she wasn't sure who would even be the right person to ask about this one. That night, Marcus and Noah stayed in the first motel they could find, living out of a sparsely packed suitcase of essentials. Marcus was ready to go home, but Noah talked him out of it, reasoning to his husband that it would be a pain to make the long drive home and then back in in what would hopefully just be a short period of time to take care of the problem. The truth, though, 
was that a part of him was afraid if they left, Marcus would never come back. Over the following few days, Marcus made dozens of phone calls to the realtor as well as the bank that owned the property before them. They hired a pest control company to clean out the house, and then a second one after the first one quit. The realtor's office was profuse in their apologies, but quickly transferred their blame to poor management of the estate by the bank who owned the property. The bank blamed the inspection for not catching the issue, and the inspector said there was no external evidence of anything that would require them to look further. And so the bill was left with the homeowners. At every step, Noah triple-checked the pest removal company's work and then Mel's team when they rehung the drywall. And when they finished, he dogged the steps of a team of professional cleaners. Neither he or Marcus had any plans to move back in if a scrap of their discovery still hid in some dusty niche. But finally, the work was done. Every wall was torn down, emptied, cleaned, and resealed. The couple was just as silent on the drive back to the cottage as they were on their first. But the tenor was different. There was an unspoken trepidation. There was fear. It sat in the car with them like a third passenger. When they entered the home, the sculpture was as they had left it. Marcus slid off the tarp that covered it, and the unfinished piece stood naked in the newly sanitized room. Noah felt a band of stress around his chest loosen and fall away to see it again with all of its potential. They had a setback, but their plans weren't completely derailed. They could still make this their sanctuary. He knew it. That night, Noah jerked awake from a dead sleep. He had just fallen through the floor, deep into a yawning void beneath his bed. But no, that wasn't right. He was in bed now. It was a dream, just a dream, and a noise had woken him up. Noah froze. It sounded like the beat of a heart, like the thudding he felt when he was filled with fear. But the sound wasn't coming from his chest. It was coming from the walls of the bedroom. Noah's lungs tightened. He felt like he couldn't breathe. Why wasn't Marcus next to him? Where was he? And what was outside? The wall shook right above the bed. Noah couldn't move and his eyes, wild with fear, swept around the empty room. He had never felt more vulnerable. He was completely alone and he couldn't escape. The bedroom door flew open, slamming against the wall. A putrid fog poured through the doorway, stinking of the same foul odor that had cloaked those carcasses in the walls. It drifted toward Noah, who was pinned to the bed, his arms and legs unwilling to move. The fog reached him, veiling the foot of his bed, then his legs, then shrouding his full body. This would kill him, he was certain, and he would die not knowing where his husband was. He would die alone. He tried to breathe, but the fetid cloud closed in on him. It burned his eyes, his nostrils, his mouth when he gasped. It was the last thing he remembered as the dark overcame him. Noah woke the next morning with his eyes puffy and red, his pillow crusted in dried tears. He sniffed, clearing his nose, breathing the morning air. Sunlight filtered softly through the curtains and the smell of death was gone, replaced with the warmth of coffee. Where were you last night? Noah asked when he walked into the kitchen. His voice was betraying him, weak and small. Marcus looked up from his laptop with surprise, clearly not expecting this level of emotion this morning. He asked his husband what was wrong, but Noah only repeated his question. Marcus held his gaze for a while before answering, I went on a drive. I got a call and I didn't want to wake you. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sleeping much anyways. Noah wasn't sure why this stung him, but it did. Who were you talking to, he asked, even though he knew. 
My sister, Marcus confirmed. He always talked to his sister when there was something he didn't want to bring up with Noah yet. There was something he wasn't telling Noah, something he was keeping from him. Are you okay? Marcus asked seriously, looking at Noah's bloodshot eyes and his bloodless cheeks. I woke up in the middle of the night and, well, I mean, you weren't there. Noah felt stupid hearing the words out loud, but he didn't want to freak out Marcus by telling him the rest, about the noise from the outside, the fog, the smell, the panic he had felt as if he was going to die. Marcus got up, squeezed his shoulder, and kissed the top of Noah's head. Noah knew he should feel comforted, but he didn't. He felt pathetic and alone. When the sun went down, the men put down their tools and assessed their progress. The hardwood had kept the bulk of its mass, despite the growing mound of shavings Marcus removed from it. At a height just over six feet, an undulating cleft wound its way down the front like the bird's eye view of a river. The hollow hugged a small open space, and Noah had sanded and softened the inside. He had plans to carve a simple mural in there, and had ideas of recreating some cave paintings he saw once, but still was thinking through ways he could modernize the subjects. The exterior of the sculpture was covered in organic valleys and bends that felt as natural as the landscape. Marcus had put all his experience to work, and the end result showcased his talent and skill beautifully. She's so gorgeous already, Noah said. Marcus rolled his eyes at the humanization, but there might have been a hint of a smile. They both jumped at a sudden knock at the door. Marcus answered it while Noah started sweeping up the shavings and dust that littered the floor. He dropped what he was doing when he heard an old man's shaky timber cut through the softening sounds of the woods around them. Hello, my name is David Stoltzfus. I heard that you may have some questions about your new home. Noah swiveled about in surprise. Two men stood at the doorway, both in dark, old-fashioned suits and vests. The older one was pushing 90 if he hadn't already passed it, and a long white beard flowed at least a foot from his wrinkled chin. The younger man, probably in his 40s, had an arm out to steady him and introduced himself as David's grandson, Caleb. Marcus welcomed them in, and Noah rushed to pull up some chairs for the men to sit in, grabbing a couple of kitchen stools for Marcus and himself. Caleb helped his grandfather lower into a chair before taking a seat. Marcus asked how they found their way to the cottage when no one seemed to know how to get there, and David blinked and nodded his head for a moment, collecting himself. I used to come here once a month. This was the home of my mother, who passed many years ago. With effort and pauses here and there to search for words, David began to tell his story. His mother, Arletta, was unmarried when she ended up pregnant at a young age and tried to hide her condition. Of course, it wasn't something that could be hidden forever, though she did manage to until she went into labor. After two hard days, she gave birth to David, and her family, horrified and ashamed, pressed her for the name of the father. Arletta remained silent, though. She wouldn't give them an answer. When she also refused to answer their bishop, the church made its decision, and she was shunned. Her family banished her, and she moved into this abandoned cottage alone, her infant son taken away from her. Caleb's eyes wandered over the room as his grandfather spoke, pausing to throw in a translation here and there. Noah got the sense that Caleb had heard the story before, but had never seen the space. There was a look he couldn't quite decipher in the man's eyes, anxiety or alarm, Noah couldn't tell. 
David began to speak more slowly as emotion entered his voice and the story became more muddled. She stayed close, but she was Nainakbar, he grumbled, his brows knitting together. Caleb chimed in to explain. She wasn't uh, considered a neighbor. We, we don't speak to those who are shunned. Noah felt an icy fear creep into his bones and his chest tighten. She was alone out here for years, he asked. David nodded and continued his story. He was raised by his grandparents, who would not answer his questions about the woman he sometimes saw watching him from the woods. He thought maybe she was a spirit only he could see, sent by God on some mission just for him. But that, of course, was foolish childishness, he told them, and he learned the truth of who she was when he became a man. Then he went to speak with her for the first time. David paused and said the next few sentences entirely to Caleb, who relayed them as best as he could. Arletta seemed, at least to her son, like a madwoman. Her home, though it was neatly kept, was organized around bizarre rituals she filled every waking moment with. He was eventually able to convince her that he was real and speaking to her, but it wasn't clear how well she understood. He said, however, that he realized that God wished for him to extend her a hand of mercy and try to get to know her. Marcus asked David about these rituals and specifically if any of them involved animal carcasses. Noah stiffened beside him, uncomfortable with Marcus's directness. Caleb answered the question. Hearing about what you found, this is what made my grandfather determined to see you. He's worried about my mother's memory being misunderstood. His mother, David explained, was vulnerable. She had to protect herself. Even if it didn't make sense to David at first, he could see that it made sense to her, and to her it was real. Marcus seemed confused, but in some deep part of his consciousness, Noah understood the old woman's fear. It was the loneliness, being part of something and then being part of nothing, being totally and completely and utterly alone, for who knew how long. Caleb struggled a bit to convey all of David's words, but that was the essence. He says like a hound on the scent of blood, Caleb quietly murmured. The devil tried to get in, but more vessels confused him. When he saw the look of confusion on Marcus and Noah, Caleb tried to explain further. My father says that his mother believed the devil was always trying to break in, break into her home, into her heart, but that he would get lost if he had to go through more of these bodies. So she stacked them inside the walls with prayers to keep the devil away to keep him out of her heart. Noah and Marcus continued to listen quietly as David, waning fast, finished his story. His mother had sinned, but she was a good woman, and she did what she could to keep evil away so that the devil wouldn't ever be able to enter her heart or soul again, and so that she would sin no more. With that, the men took their leave. Noah and Marcus thanked them awkwardly, shook their hands, and watched their horse and buggy disappear into the darkness of the forest. As they stood in silence, Noah suddenly felt extremely aware of the distance between him and Marcus. He looked at the tension in his husband's shoulders and swallowed hard, his own stomach tightening. He knew, without Marcus saying a word, what he was thinking and what he would say. And he couldn't let that happen. It had taken too long to get Marcus here, to get him to a point where he might give Noah another chance after what had happened six months ago. Noah's vision began to swim as he thought maybe, maybe he didn't deserve the chance. It was his fault for ruining it all, because of his own stupid mistake. One night of too much to drink, an error in judgment, a sin that he wished he could erase. 
It had nearly ended their marriage when Marcus found out. Panic reached Noah's throat as his heart began racing. No, he was going to fix this, fix everything for Marcus. He would show up every day focused and present in their marriage. He would prove his devotion. Marcus just had to give him the chance. Marcus turned to Noah. Enough is enough. We need to sell this place. Marcus closed the door and started returning their chairs to their previous spots. How many signs do we really need? This is crazy. I mean, like, I don't know what I believe or don't. All I know is every night there's something out there trying to break in, and no, stop telling me it's nightmares. And now we find out that some old woman was trying to keep evil or the devil or whatever out with all those dead animals in the walls, and we just removed them. Yeah, I'm ready to leave. I don't want to see what comes next. Noah tried to cut in. No, that's just crazy talk. There's nothing trying to break in. This cottage is perfect. Marcus cut in with surprising conviction. Please don't say perfect. Nothing about this has been perfect. It's been a nightmare. We don't need a studio so far from home. I didn't need to stop working just to sculpt. And we don't need to jump at every opportunity, no matter the cost. This isn't worth it. Noah could barely hear Marcus's words over the thudding in his chest. This can still work. Look at what we've done so far with this place. It makes it all worth it. And what, we can't handle a little history? Everything has a past, you know that. Marcus's eyes hardened at this. I didn't, I didn't mean it like that, Noah backpedaled. I mean, we came out here to make something beautiful, and I, I was so, I mean, I am so grateful that we have this time to reconnect and refocus on us, on our art. I mean, when was the last time we spent real time working together? Noah was pacing now, so he missed the muscle that jumped in Marcus's jaw. Think for a moment, we could use this, a series of sculptures that tell the story of this cottage. Who else has done something like this? We have a huge opportunity here to say something, something real about lost community, about isolation, about... Noah was getting into it now, excited by the possibilities. He whirled to their workbench and picked up a chisel, needing Marcus to know he was serious. He turned expectantly to look at him and tried to steady his breathing, slow down his heart. No, Noah. Marcus didn't move. Noah stared at him, wild-eyed. No? Marcus met his gaze with a heavy stare. There was no trace of love or affection on his face, and his knuckles were white as they gripped the back of a chair. Marcus took a deep breath and then spoke the words that hit Noah like a ton of bricks. I don't want this. The truth is, it's not even about this place. You know that. Noah's heart slammed against his chest wall. I haven't wanted this anymore for a long time. I'm done. You can stay, but I'm leaving. A searing heat rose up in Noah's neck and into his ears. He felt his brain and body flood with all of the fear and worry and anxiety and tears that he had been holding back. The aching emptiness of waking up without Marcus beside him. Was that going to be his life now? The thudding grew louder, like his heart or soul was trying to break free of his body. Or was it that something was trying to break into him? Noah ran to his husband to embrace him or shake him or fall to his knees he didn't know. Hot tears streamed down his cheeks and blurred his vision, and his limbs felt heavy. He raised his arms, which felt like lead now, and brought the chisel down, hard. Marcus wouldn't leave him. Blood spurted over his hands as hot as the tears. He wouldn't be alone again, no, that wasn't an option. 
His husband was so heavy to drag across the floor, so heavy to bring to the cleft inside the sculpture. Marcus's head lolled on his shoulders and flopped against the smooth inside of the hollow. Noah held it up so his neck wouldn't be sore, gripping his hair when his hands were too slippery. He could hold him up here, there, he just needed some wood to hold his arm in place. There, that scrap piece is perfect, and there were nails on the workbench. There was more wood and more nails, and this would all hold him in place for now. Just for now, until he woke up, and then Noah could finish talking to him. The wood cradled him so nicely, it had such smooth curves. This curve here, that was perfect for the other arm. Noah's hammer rang through the night as he completed his sculpture. A sculpture that he couldn't make without his husband. A piece of art that, like his life, couldn't be perfect without Marcus. This week's episode was based on a very real story about a very real home in Skokie County, Pennsylvania. In 2012, a family decided to add insulation to the walls in an upstairs bedroom to prepare a nursery when they discovered, quote, dozens of dead animal carcasses, half-used spices, and other items filled behind layers of drywall, all wrapped in newspapers from the 30s and the 40s. The discovery wasn't unearthed in the inspection or covered by insurance, so it cost them tens of thousands of dollars in removal and years of work while they continued to live in the home. The family reached out to a local expert who looked at the artifacts and determined it was likely the remnants of a very unusual case of Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic known as powwowing. The mold made the family ill, and they couldn't permanently remove the smell that still lingered in the walls that were cleaned out and repaired. In an interview three years later, they said there were still walls hiding bundled bodies of animals that they no longer had the resources to remove. Even now, no one has ever been able to definitively answer why the animals were hidden and left to decay in the walls. Why did the former inhabitants go to the trouble of killing and wrapping and hiding so many little bodies behind the drywall of an unassuming home? What were they trying to keep out? What did they know that we don't? Tonight's tale was written by Hannah Chiapanos. Nighty Night is executive produced by Rabia Chaudhry and Colin Thompson. It's produced by DJ Lubell. It's sound designed and edited by Anton Doty. Original music by Andrew Gerlicker. Nighty Night is a cast original podcast.